0: Everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Miles Podcast. It's your host, Stephen Miller, and today is actually one of the newer episodes that I said that was going to be more informational than sharing the experience. And I have the wonderful Dr. Carolyn Alexander from California. She is going to be talking with us about PCOS. A lot of our men out there who are listening a lot of us don't know our own reproductive health systems, rather let alone our wives and partners. So I felt like this would be a very good opportunity to learn what PCOS is and just for us to be better aware of those issues. So welcome, Dr. Alexander.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I like the project you're doing and helping educate all the everyone about fertility struggles that goes on. And and PCOS is near and dear to my heart. It's been my passion to take care of patients with PCOS. And and I'm happy to explain to partners what is PCOS and talk a little bit about it.
0: Absolutely. So first question I want to ask is how did you get interested in the field or involved in reproductive medicine?
1: Sure. I I was a resident at Johns Hopkins Hospital. And I got to have the honor to (laughs) meet Dr. Howard and Georgiana Jones and my mentor, Dr. Theodore Baramke and Dr. Edward Wallach. And they inspired me to really hone in on the menstrual cycle and fertility and ovulation. And I thought it's so fascinating. And um, we would see very complex cases and help patients achieve their goal of getting pregnant and having a healthy baby. And it was such a miracle and every day is so fascinating. So I fell in love with it. So I stayed in Baltimore for seven years, even though I'm a California girl. Okay. And so, and then um, a lot of my research projects were on polycystic ovary syndrome and, and it goes from there. I've been doing this Mm. for 17 years.
0: Awesome. And for those that don't know, um, Howard and Georgianne. Jones are essentially the founders of IVF. So the ones that really first put it kind of on the map, and they were from England, right? Because they were the one that had Louisa. Well, no, they're
1: from they did it in Norfolk, Virginia. Okay, that's right. The first IVF baby was in England, Elizabeth Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep, and absolutely. The,
1: yeah. And they helped um a lot of the next generation of fertility doctors learn how to do IVF and inspired, uh, you know, the momentum for IVF to be um, society, to look at it uh, as an accepting opportunity for patients who have infertility.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So please enlighten us about like, what actually is PCOS?
1: Yes. It's a very important thing. It's polycystic ovary syndrome and its genetics as well as environmental factors that fall into place that can cause irregular menstrual periods, high testosterone or androgens, as well as insulin resistance and polycystic appearing ovaries where on the ovaries, the follicles look like a pearl string instead of all throughout the ovaries. And the diagnosis is based on two out of three criteria, and it's irregular periods, high androgens, and the polycystic appearing ovaries. But we have to make sure to check prolactin, thyroid, as well as adrenal, the adrenal gland, because non-classical adrenal hyperplasia, which is a different problem, can look like PCOS. Okay. So PCOS is kind of a complement of different things. But the diagnosis is two out of three criteria, and in adolescence it's tricky because they have ovaries sometimes that look polycystic, but they may actually not have the official PCOS diagnosis.
0: Yeah, from what I can remember about PCOS was was there more like like facial hair, like, and I think that that was. Part of it, maybe.
1: Yes. So yeah. the high testosterone can cause hair loss. It can cause hair growth on the abdomen, the back, as well as the the um, in a male pattern hair growth. And um, lowering the testosterone can improve that in in women. And that high testosterone makes it harder for us to also ovulate. And so that has an impact on getting your period or your partner's period. So if she's not getting her period, she's not ovulating consistently. And that makes it also a risk for the uterus, which should be having your period every month. And so it's important to check with the gynecologist to double check that there isn't anything else to be evaluated for that.
0: I would imagine if there's not a regular period, then it's almost like shooting at a dartboard blind. Um, Like, because, you know, you have those optimal, you know, fertility days. And if you really don't know when that truly is happening, I can, then it would probably make it more difficult to conceive.
1: Yeah. And sometimes patients um, are checking body temperature, the basal body temperature, and they're not getting a biphasic temperature, which is what the goal is, that the egg pops out of the shell, progesterone goes up, and then it causes the temperature rise. And they'll bring their basal body temperature charts, and they're not consistent, and they'll say, when, which day did the egg come out? But we it's very difficult in some patients to figure out when they ovulate. And some of them are ovulating, but just at a later time point than most people at day 14 or day 11 to 15.
0: Okay. So what, what made you want to specialize in this?
1: I, I mean, I remember when I was young too being told, oh, you know, you have a little bit of hair and you probably have uh, some hormone imbalance and just go exercise and lose some weight. And the thing is, that's the myth of all of this is some of the time patients think, what did I do? I at the time thought, what did I do? Did I do something wrong or something like that? And I was exercising a lot. I was on every sport in high school and everything like that and eating healthy. So I think it's a, um, I think it's a myth that, oh, just lose weight and you'll be fine. Um, so, um, but I fell in love with PCOS because a lot of my patients were crying that they, didn't feel like anyone was really tuning in to what they needed or what they, and sometimes patients just need someone to really understand and listen to them and, and get a sense of what are their top three challenges they're facing. Um, I think of PCOS as two things when we're young and two things when we're older. So we're if we're skipping your periods, that's really important to double check that the uterine lining is staying healthy. And then pregnancy, trying to get pregnant, you don't want to take too much time if your periods are not regular because you're not ovulating potentially consistently. Some people are ovulating and not always as consistent with their periods, and that is possible. And then later in life, cardiovascular risk, so making sure your cholesterol stays healthy, as well as hemoglobin A1C and insulin resistance because some patients, especially if they had gestational diabetes in pregnancy, can get a higher risk of type 2 diabetes as an older person. And so that's important to understand, too.
0: So what are some of the like statistics around PCOS? Like how many, like what percentage of women are we, you know, 10? would experience PCOS?
1: Some, yeah. some ethnic backgrounds have a higher propensity for PCOS. And what's interesting is if your mom or dad has type two diabetes, there's an increased genetic predisposition for possibly insulin resistance, which is associated with PCOS, mm-hmm. but 10 to 20% of women can have PCOS.
0: That's a fairly good number of women that would have that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So how does PCS in itself, how does that impact fertility?
1: Yeah. So in general, the, Ovary has granulosa cells and theca cells and the theca cells make high testosterone and that creates a micro environment around the follicles that potentially is a little different. So it's a little bit harder to ovulate as well as genetically. The pituitary produces LH at a different frequency than average. So to actually have the egg, pop out of the shell to ovulate, you need a robust LH surge. And that doesn't happen necessarily when you have chronic LH elevation. And so those are kind of two uh, ways that can affect fertility. And some people who are skipping their periods, the inside lining of the uterus can get thick and not be as super friendly to the embryo to implant. And so it's important to talk about that as well as if they have insulin resistance, that can put us at risk for gestational diabetes in pregnancy. And so there's, and vitamin D level is very important in PCOS patients, because we do see an unusually lower level of vitamin D and that has anti-inflammatory properties. So it's important to take vitamin D and to talk to your doctor about your vitamin D level too.
0: Do you think that with the vitamin D even makes, I mean, a world of a difference, especially, I'm thinking more from like the northern states, like so for me in Wisconsin, and a lot of times during the winter, we don't get as much sunlight. So a lot of times people in northern states like or even Canada, like have low vitamin D, especially in like the winter season. So would it be even as more pronounced so, like, with somebody with PCOS?
1: Yeah, paper was just published showing men and women With low vitamin D, it affects our egg quality and sperm quality. Okay. In addition for women, it's important with PCOS to check prolactin because we notice that the prolactin level can be high and that can also hinder ovulation. And so fixing that can improve spontaneous pregnancy so you can get pregnant naturally too.
0: Okay. So I'm thinking if... The one with PCOS, like if they have eggs and like they mature and but they don't release, do they essentially just get uh, absorbed into the body? Then they just are losing, I would say, opportunities, I guess, like are losing eggs.
1: Sometimes, yeah, but as each month goes by, nature does that naturally because some patients say, Did I lose my? Chances. Um, I believe every month has the chance for a good egg. So especially when we're we're younger, when we get into our 40s, it's a little bit more challenging to get a genetically good egg. But there's still always hope on that.
0: Have you ever had a case where somebody had PCOS and like endometriosis or like dimensional ovarian reserve or anything like that.
1: Sometimes, yeah. PCOS is interesting because usually the follicle count or antral follicle count is pretty high. So that okay. is the opposite of diminished ovarian reserve. Um, but the endometriosis and very bad cramps that can be partly genetic and it's a different pathway potentially than PCOS, but it can happen.
0: Okay. Knowing with fertility, there's a lot of myths out there you know, and some of it comes from unsolicited advice, you know, that if you just relax and all that, that kind of advice, what are some of the myths that are surrounding PCOS?
1: I think the biggest one is, oh, just lose weight and you'll get better. And, uh, and I do believe that patients who lose weight, the egg quality improves and ovulation can improve. But in general, That isn't always going to be the magic bullet to help to fix the infertility struggle. And so it's important to try your best to get to your body mass index. That's ideal body mass index and for men, too, because um, obesity in men also impacts sperm quality, too. Right. But I think the other important one that's really, you know, like you said, is did I do something wrong or what, you know, when sometimes when you are at a family party, someone will say, why aren't you guys trying harder? Well, people are trying to get pregnant. It's just there's the egg and sperm combination isn't occurring or ovulation's not occurring at the exact time that you would predict or the embryo gets to the uterus and the uterus doesn't allow the embryo to stick from mother nature. And there are a few tricks to improve that situation. And then the the other ones that are really uh, important is it, sometimes it says you can't get pregnant if you have PCOS. I don't like that one because I've seen young women crying in the office and kind of hysterical and they're not ready to have a family yet, but they're told, oh, it's going to be so hard to get pregnant. It's, it, it can be challenging, but in general, if we can get you to ovulate and you time intercourse, we can get you to get pregnant. So it's important to still keep, you know, a glimmer of hope with everything and understand your own personal situation and your hormones too. Yeah.
0: So if a woman's going through IVF, has PCOS, and they're successful, like, are there any, like, risks regarding, like, pregnancy afterwards, like, or sometimes. just in pregnancy? Yeah.
1: Well, sometimes the progesterone from the corpus luteum, which is. The shell of the egg isn't as strong for some odd reason. And so it's important to be your own advocate and say, What is my progesterone level in early pregnancy? Because that's one trick up our sleeve that can help with women with PCOS if they keep their progesterone level a little higher, that can protect from miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Also, elevated hemoglobin A1C or glucose levels can cause early embryo developmental problems and spina bifida, so it's really important to take folic acid before you're pregnant or your prenatal vitamins, and interestingly, it's before you're pregnant, not once you're pregnant, so you really want to try to start it before you're pregnant. Same with the vitamin D, optimizing the vitamin D, but the big one is gestational diabetes, because gestational diabetes goes up in any patient, thin or not thin, with uh, PCOS. Okay.
0: And I think the interesting thing too, and maybe you'll touch upon this, but I think that we often think of PCOS as women that are overweight, but it's also the opposite of that, like like women that are very like thin and underweight, correct?
1: Yes, yeah. It can happen in thin or, or lean women and as well as obese patients. <laughs> and that's the genetic component that really plays a role in that. Environment and even with our thin patients that get pregnant, we are very careful to have them talk to the nutritionist and be more cautious with their nutrition during embryo development and, and early pregnancy, as well as throughout the pregnancy too. Yeah.
0: Okay. So how does how does PCOS get diagnosed? Like, what are some of like the tests that you would yeah. go through if you were suspecting somebody had having PCOS?
1: So we would evaluate an ultrasound, a transvaginal ultrasound, to look at the morphology of the ovary, as well as the volume, and check on the uterus. We would check on the third day of the period, as long as the patient's getting her period, FSH, estradiol, LH, thyroid level, or TSH, and a prolactin. And then it's really important to check an androgen panel during the week of the period. If you check testosterone after ovulation, everybody's goes up. And so you could get a false positive high testosterone level. So we like to check it in, in the follicular phase, total and free testosterone DHEAS and 17 hydroxyprogesterone progesterone level, as well as some people do a two hour glucose tolerance test to look for insulin resistance and a hemoglobin A1C as well as a vitamin D level.
0: So the the glucose test was that the one where you drink the very sugary.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like- I
0: I remember my my wife doing that and she said it was just awful. Like I mean, you think it would just as they try to make it like a soda, but she said it was was way too much yeah. sugar. You know, like
1: I remember doing that twice in my pregnancies, but yeah, it is yucky, and you have to you're supposed to carb load for three days prior so that. You get a sense what the body's doing after carbs, even though we don't really want too many carbs yeah. in general. <laughs>
0: yeah, I just like I guess I just remember her, like she said, you know, you thought it was gonna be an orange soda, but she said it's not an orange soda. It's it was yeah, uh, it was and she ended up not yeah. having that, you know, gestational like diabetes. But I just remember yeah. her doing that and yeah, all the the hoops and you have to jump through
1: yeah I know it's a lot
0: <laughs> how do you think like men like in general whose partners have PTSD? like how do you think we could help support uh, like our partners that may have this
1: that's such a good question I think for the partners it's really listening to your partner and tuning in to their fears and their um hopes and their fears I think encouraging lifestyle, you know, modifications and changes. But what I tell, especially the younger patients, I say nutrition and exercise is over seven days, and that everyone can have one day that's like their free day to be not micromanaged of what they're eating or doing. But and even for myself, if we have a day that we're eating a little more, the next day I do much more cardio. So you really want to kind of everything in moderation so if you're gonna have a day that you're overeating exercise a lot more the next day or the day prior if you really know it's a family event and especially Mm -hmm. around the holidays but I think also helping your partner you know if you want to track periods with them and the cramps and things I mean it depends how involved your partner wants you to be with with everything and reading up on articles. We'll send I'll send you the article I wrote about PCOS. I think it's it's a helpful article. Yeah. That would be
0: good. Yeah, I think just getting the more knowledge, you know, about like what what that's like and like what, what is it. And like I said in the beginning, right? We oftentimes fertility education in the United States is very severely lacking. Mm-hmm. You know, from what, you know, anecdotally, but probably through some research. We always talk about prevention and never talk about what can you do to increase your chances of having a child. And it leads this idea that getting pregnant is really super easy. And for seven plus million people in the United States, it's not. And there's so many factors into it. You know, it could be male factor, it could be female factor, PCOS, endometriosis. I mean, there's so many nuances to each individual, and and this even the psychological toll. On
1: it. I know it's important to feel comfortable with your physician and talk it out and think it through together and your and your partner, which is you're you're really helping people with that. I think that's so important at here in at Southern California Reproductive Center. We work really hard. Each doctor is very caring and um, we all put a lot of effort to just help everybody through the process.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes a world of a difference because we ended up doing three different clinics, um, like two in Wisconsin, and then we actually ended up in Missouri at the uh, Missouri Center for Reproductive Medicine. And I could just tell from the first consult like how much of a difference it was. Cause at one point, one doctor said that they gave us a fifteen percent chance of getting pregnant. And we're just like, Well, that's not We're going to find somewhere else. And we ended up going to Missouri. And now we have four-year-old twin boys, you know, from that. So, but it was the positive regard from the doctor, you know, like that, even through all the ups and downs of that cycle, like it was so helpful to have that, that positive and to give that hope. Because when you're in the midst as a patient hope is when the one thing that you're, you're fear of is like your fear that you're going to be hoping too much and then get devastated. Yeah. It makes a world of a difference for sure.
1: I, yeah, definitely. Even for myself, I had my family later, but thank you so much for this opportunity. I I'm very proud of your effort and anybody who wants to reach out, I'll put our link in and I'm just so happy to have this opportunity. You made me think through the myths. I thought that was really <laughs> a great question.
0: Yeah, That's- absolutely. Yeah. And um, I also post like social media, cause I know I think you're on Twitter and I think Instagram too, but yeah, I love having you on there, very informational and, you know, help me kind of give a better understanding of what, what this is. And I hope everybody else listening that this was helpful and any feedback is greatly appreciated from the listeners. And, yeah, thanks for, for being on here taking the time out of your day.
1: Great. Yeah. Take care. Be well.
0: Thank you for listening to the Miles Podcast. Miles Podcast is on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and Overcast. If you could like, rate, subscribe, and share the podcast to help other men or other couples find it, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter for updates on future episodes and more content related to infertility and family building. As always, if you'd like to be a guest, please message me on my social media or email at themilespodcast at gmail.com. I hope that you will continue this miles long journey with me.